Well, this morning we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, and I invite you to have your Bible near you to turn to Luke chapter 17. And as you're turning into that, I want to kind of introduce, not kind of, I do want to introduce what I'm going to share with you this morning. As you look at Scripture, there are some things that are clearer than other portions of Scripture. Have you found that to be true? Some things you read, and it's just so obvious what it's saying and what it means and how it applies, and other places you go to, and like your like the comment of Peter when he read the Apostle Paul, some of his writings, some of the things you say are really, rather difficult to, to really put together. And, and we're going to be looking at a theme this morning that is somewhat in that camp in terms of uh, what are the pieces that put it together that the, that the puzzle makes sense when, uh, when we see it in its completion. And even as I was sharing this morning, trying to at least focus on the things that Jesus said about it in the passage we're going to look at, uh, my wife afterwards said, I wish you had put some other things into your message that you left out. So I'm going to try to do that a little bit this morning. Um, but I just want to share with you that, that it's very easy to be confused about things uh, in life. Have you discovered that? Maybe you've been in a room and, and everyone's laughing and you're not laughing because someone told a joke and you didn't get the what? The punchline. You didn't figure out what, what was so funny about what they just said. Or maybe you're in a, in a, in a kind of a self-help group or maybe they're t- training you how to cook a certain type of dish or which I don't do, but, or maybe they're trying to help you fix something in your car and you're listening and you're trying to figure out what they're saying and you go, there's absolutely no way I'm going to go home and be able to do what they just told me to do. And it, what's really humbling sometimes, it wasn't because the explanation wasn't clear, you just weren't sharp enough to pick it up. And sometimes we're that way with all kinds of things. And I thought I'd illustrate that this morning with my very meager understanding of the United Kingdom. So we're going to be talking about this morning about confused about God's kingdom so I was wondering, well, just how, how, uh, how clear am I about the kingdoms that are still in this world? And even though I've traveled there and I've read things about it, I realized that even what I was saying this morning, I'm not even sure I understood what I was saying. You know, what is the United Kingdom? What, what is that? Well, we know, we know it's over the seas and it relates to England and Great Britain, but how, how are the pieces together and how does that relate to how the United States is put together? And I, I'm not still sure I do understand what it is because some places they'll say, well, uh, it's England, and it's, Scot- it's Scotland, and it's Wales, and it's Northern Ireland, and they're all countries, but they're, on, they're under one sovereign state. Well, if they're, one, they're a country, does that mean they're one country, or they're four countries? And maybe you have studied their political setup, you, you, you can figure that out, but I, I haven't quite put that together. But somehow they've come together, and at least in some ways they're one entity, and there's something that draws them together other than just some trade agreements, and they're under some kind of common rule, though they're somewhat separate as well. You know, in, in America, we, we have 50 states, and we might say, I'm from California. Rarely do we say, I'm a Californian, or say, I'm an American, and I live over here. And I'm not sure exactly how they put it together. But somehow, they describe themselves as a kingdom. Now, their kingdom now, we know has been, for, uh, forgive me if this offends you, but they've been watered down a little bit. I mean, the, the king, or in this case, the queen, doesn't have absolute power, which when we look back in history, that was true of certain kingdoms. And they weren't always called kings. You look back in history, 3,000 years before the time of Christ, there were kingdoms. Uh, but if you were in the kingdom of Egypt, the king was not called a Egypt. Uh, a, the, king was, the person in charge was not called a king. He was called a what? A pharaoh. And you knew who was in charge in that land. It was the pharaoh. And in the Roman Empire, you would call them a what? A Caesar or an emperor. And so there, there are times in, in history where people, they were, they were, they were in control. Some of the kingdoms will look back in history, we're not even sure they were as real as we think them to be. King Arthur and his court, some say that, was, that actually happened. Some people say it didn't happen. 
But we have a sense that there, are, there is a form of government called the monarchy, and when someone is in charge, either completely or at least to a certain degree. And so when we think about a kingdom, we think about someone in charge, someone leading, or put it very simply, someone who is ruling. And so what I want to say to you in the very beginning is we think about God's kingdom. It's all about God's rule. He's reigning. He's the one to be in charge. And what's interesting about knowing about God's kingdom is, number one, Jesus talked about it. And, and even though we miss it at times, I know I miss it at times, looking at some of the other details that's found in God's Word, it, it's pretty prevalent, particularly in the Gospels. In the Gospels, it, the kingdom is talked about 126 times. And you're thinking, gosh, I read through the Gospels. I don't see it on every page, but it's there. Now, if you look at the epistles and other parts of the New Testament, you find out it's only used relatively a few times, 34 times. So why 126 times in the Gospels and a lot less than the other parts of the New Testament. Well, hopefully we're going to pick that up a little bit as we talk about confusion about God's kingdom. And what's my simple goal? Is we're a little less confused after we're finished today, all right? And if it's, if it's, if it's a subject that's prevalent in the New Testament, and it's really throughout Scripture, it's something we, we better have a little bit of a handle on. And one familiar passage to many of you is found in Matthew 6, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom the kingdom of God. And if that's supposed to be on my priority list, I better have an idea what that is, right? What is the kingdom of God? I've already kind of uh, shared with you what, I forget the kind, I have shared with you what I thought it is. It's, it's in its simplicity and most powerful sense, it is the rule of God. And when you hear the kingdom of heaven, I don't think that's any separate. It's the rule of the one who is in heaven. It's the, it's the rule and reign of God. But that doesn't completely answer all the questions for us. Well, how's that supposed to be worked out in our life today? Well, we're going to try to answer that with trying to look at where and what is the kingdom of God. Now, what my wife wanted me to share in the first service, which she's not going to get, but in the, in the second service is, well, can you give me a kind of a panoramic view of the kingdom of God laid out? And hopefully, if I have time, I'll give you my view of that. There's all kinds of views out there in terms of putting that piece of the puzzle together in terms of what is the future going to look like in terms of God's plan coming to completion. And I'll give you a, a simple view of, of my understanding of Scripture, which my view is always right, so you can forget what everybody else says. No, there's, there's a lot of sharper people than I am who have different views, but we'll, we'll try to look at that. But what I want to tell you this morning, I want to talk about is how Jesus wrestled with explaining the kingdom to the people in his day. And uh, we're going to see it, hopefully, in, a, in its simplicity, but also in its, its profound impact in our lives if we get it, okay? So we'll look at the where and the what, as well as a little bit of the when as we see it this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter uh, 17, and we're going to look at two verses, then I'll make the first point, and then we'll look at some time taking the second point as well. Luke chapter 17, I'll begin in verse 20. And before verse 20 in Luke chapter 17 is Luke chapter 17, verse 19. I just wanted to see if you're still with me, all right? Uh, there's always a context with the text that we look at, and Jesus has done a familiar miracle, one we could figure out pretty simply. It's the, Jesus healing the ten lepers. Nine, after they realized they were healed, kept going where they were headed, which is to go to that place where they would be officially uh, uh, labeled as cleansed and healed. And one came back to Jesus and gave what? Thanks. And so, so this was a pretty prominent uh, miracle in the, in the life of Jesus. In fact, 
really, it, there had been no healing of leprosy for at least 700 years until the time of Elijah. And so the, the healing of Naaman. And so this caused a stir. People were just, you know, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Particularly people who didn't want to follow Jesus. And so what we have here is we have people questioning Jesus, and they're trying to say, well, you know, we know that you, uh, you've done some amazing things, but uh, we don't really think you're the one who's going to bring the kingdom. Uh, what's the kingdom? When's the kingdom coming? What's it going to be like? How will we know it's here? And really what they were saying, well, how do we know it's here? Because we know you can't be bringing it in because we don't believe you're the king. So Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, and again, the kingdom of God is the rule of God, uh, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. Now, just stopping there for a moment, you're going, okay, he answered their, their question, when is the kingdom of God coming? And they say, well, let me just be very plain about it. When it comes, um, you're not going to be able to see it. You're, you're not going to be able to recognize it. You're not going to say, look there, there it is, right there. See what, what's happening? That's the kingdom of God. Or, no, 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 it's right over here. That's the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes on and says this, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. I thought you just told me we couldn't see it, and now you say it's right here in front of you. Or as in some translate, it's right here potentially to be in you. Because this is, this is the understanding of the first coming of Christ and what we're anticipating, the what coming of Christ. Second coming of Christ. I just want you to stay with me, all right? And, and so he's explaining the first coming of Christ is that the coming of Christ the first time is a manifestation of God's rule or God's kingdom because who's there? The king, the one who is the ruler. And he said, you're looking for external things. Well, if the kingdom of God is here, then you'll take care of Rome. Or you'll, deal, you'll eliminate any poverty that's in among God's people. You will, you and you have been doing a lot of that, you'll heal every disease. You'll make everything right in everybody's home. Everybody will get along. Uh, we'll be in power and glory, and, and everyone will look to us as we anticipate it to be an expression of God's power in our lives individually and nationally. And he said, no, 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 no. You're not going to be able to see God's kingdom in that way. How are you going to see God's kingdom is that you need to get connected to the king, the one in which the kingdom is all about, the one who comes to rule and to reign. It's in your midst. And really, in some translation, and for some of you, it's already in you. So, stopping for a moment, what we're going to look at is two expressions of the kingdom of God. The first one was then, and in our lifetime still existing, the now expression of God's kingdom. Now, I put in your outline this way. Where is the kingdom of God? Uh, it's now. But... In contrast, what he was telling them, you can't see it, so it's, it's spiritual, it's invisible, and you could also say it's not physical, and the emphasis is what it's going to do in you, not around you. So what is the kingdom of God? It's now, and it's spiritual, it's invisible, and it changes, and it is to change you. Now, in the middle of your outline there on the first point, I summarize what I've already said to you. God's kingdom is all about God's rule. So if you're asking yourself, well, how do I know if I'm in God's kingdom? Let me ask you, who's ruling in your life? Who, who, who's reigning in your life? Who's in charge? Who's calling the shots? Or is it still, you know, if you were to draw a throne in your life, who's on the throne? 
Is it self or is it the Savior? Is it Christ or is it you? And if Christ is not the one ruling and reigning in your life, you're not experiencing the now manifestation of God's kingdom. Because what is God's kingdom? It's God's rule. Where, where was it expressed to them there is the king is in your midst. He's at hand. He's near you. And he can be in you. But is he? So God's rule is the fundamental theme throughout Scripture throughout from the very beginning. And just racing through that, God's kingdom was revealed at creation. He's the one who started it all. That's why he can be the ruler. He created everything, and everything he created was good. And when he created mankind, it was very good. But God's king was rebelled against. It was rebelled against at the fall. And we can see that throughout history. I mean, kingdoms rise and they fall. They rise and they fall, rise and they fall. That's the physical manifestation of just human kingdoms. But there was the king of kings, and he gave people the opportunity, Adam and Eve, to follow the ruler and reigner of their life or to, to rebel against him. And when they rebelled against him, it was, it was rebelled against the one who was to rule and reign. Then the rest of history is God's kingdom is all about reconciling people to the king. And that happens because of the cross. When reconciling is bringing two parties together, and, and it can be nations or it can be people. And what's separating us from God? The Bible, uh, the Bible is very simple. It's our sin. And the only way for that to be dealt with is for God to pay the penalty for our sins. And when God pays the penalty for our sins and we believe in him who paid the penalty for our sins and submit our lives to him, that relationship with God, which is broken, is reconciled and brought together. But it's all about us dealing with what happened at the cross. But where a lot of times we, we just wrestle with, okay, well, I've given my life to Jesus. Well, why is my life a lot better than, I want it, than it is? Because the restoration of God's rule everywhere doesn't happen to the future. Now, they wrestled with that because they kept looking for Jesus. They had expectation of Jesus that he wasn't going to meet. He wasn't going to deal with Rome at that time. If you remember, even when Jesus spoke to, to Pilate, uh, and Pilate said, hey, I hear you're a king. Is that true? And he goes, yeah, it's true. And he said, well, then where's your kingdom? He said, well, my kingdom is not of this, what, world. If it were, then all my subjects would come and fight, and they would make sure that I was, was ruling here on the earth. The kingdom was not given the first time to be expressed everywhere. Where it was to be expressed was in here. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture. In, in, Nic- in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, we have Nicodemus coming to Jesus and said, ah, he made a pretty good observation. He said, ah, you know, uh, we notice that you must be from God because how could you do all the things and say all the things you do and not be from God? And how can I get involved in this? And he says, truly I say to you, unless, unless you're born again, you'll never enter into the kingdom of God. And that just mystified Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can I crawl back into my mother's womb? And he said, you're not getting it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. I mean, that which is born physically is just physical. But I've come that you might be born of the Spirit, because that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So just reemphasizing what I've tried to say already, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is now, but it's a spiritual kingdom. It's invisible. You can't put it in a test tube. You can't look at its manifestation in every single way around the world. But you need to understand, it does change things, but what it does is it changes people on the inside. 
So the best way to see God's rule and reign is to see it in other people's lives. Never perfectly, but profoundly, where that person is never the same once they meet Jesus. Same idea is put in Romans chapter 14, 17. Um, Paul's writing the church of Rome, and, you know, they're still struggling with, well, what is, how does this all, how do you put all these things together about God's, you know, God's work in the world today? And God's supposed to be the ruler and the reigner, but I don't see a lot of that happening. We're still under the bondage of people around us. There's still suffering going on. And he said, I want you to understand that the, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not just the things everybody do, does. I mean, there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. You know, you have to live physically. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is that which is happening in you. When we seek first the kingdom of God, we seek first God to rule and to reign in our life. Or as what the epistles talk about, they don't talk so much in the language of kingdom. They talk about lordship. It's someone ruling, he's the Lord of my life. He's the boss of my life. He's the one in charge of my life. That is the kingdom of God. So when we seek him first, we say, God, it's not my will be done, but what? Your will be done. Isn't that true? So that's what the kingdom of God is all about now. Colossians, uh, and the byproduct that you experience peace and you experience joy. In Colossians 1.13, which was a memory verse for our, one of the memory verses for our children in our VBS, he said, oh, I want you to understand that when you, when you become a Christian, you are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Which again, you could put the rule language or reigning language. In it. When you are part of God's kingdom, you, you aren't being ruled by the things that are dark in this world. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. You still mess up, but that's not the dominant force of your life. You're just trying to do just what you want, and that's just dark. But you're brought into the kingdom or rule of that which is light. That, that God's goodness becomes manifest in your life. He, begins, he changes you on a, on a regular basis. And I don't know about you, but God's not finished with me yet. You know, he's still changing me, right? Because I, I, I need to be more light and be more like him. But that's, that's God's kingdom. And of course, in 2 Corinthians, it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, new creature. Old things pass, behold, new things have come. You know, one, one thing we all have in common, we all have a past, Right? You know, and anybody want to relive the past? Look, I'm looking forward to the future. New things are coming. So that's God's kingdom. Now, what I want to do is give a, a quick thing I didn't share in the first service. That's what's happening now. But what's going to happen in the future? And what I'm going to say in the second point is God's kingdom is now, but it's also not yet. There's something to look forward to. There's something to anticipate. There's something to long for. Well, how's that going to be played out? Let me, um, just off the top of my head, kind of share you a summary as I see this. At creation, God set up his rule here on earth and, and, and gave man the responsibility to have dominion over this whole world. So we were to be his representatives upon this, this created planet he made. But where you rebelled against the ruler, the king, and that kingdom was messed up, God's rule was messed up on earth. So God's plan was to, to bring us back to himself. And he has manifests himself in so many different ways throughout history, particularly the Old Testament gives you, gives you a storyline of how that has happened. And, and, he, and he used and draw, drew people to himself who represented himself so people could see the reality of God ruling and reigning in a person's life, and they had a choice to make. Do I want to go my way or God's way? Do I, follow, I want to follow this example of a person following God, or I want to follow a person who's far from God and go down that path? Well, various times in history, people have chosen their direction, and God has brought the light, not only in individuals, but in groups of people. 
He, he chose Israel to be his light as a nation around the world. And uh, he began with Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And out of that nation, a great blessing throughout the whole world. Israel was not and has not been, and in the future will be, but they haven't been a perfect re- representative of God. But people could see, in fact, many people, when they encountered Israel, they, were, they, they, they would recognize, here was the label for them. We see that God is with you. And when they recognize God is with them, they, they recognize the supernatural uh, part of their relationship with God. But all the things that were portrayed in the Old Testament was a picture about what needed to come. And so all that sacrificial system, which, which dealt with people's sin because our, our walk with God was, was fractured because of our sin. And there needs to be a covering of our sin from, from a, a, a substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. And it was all, all pictured in what ha- was in the, in the blood sacrifices of the animals. But it was pictured toward the one, the Lamb of God who was to come. And, and so as Jesus came, he dealt... With once and for all, our sin would separate us from himself. But that act of sacrifice in which our sins would be paid for was, was an invitation for us to recognize not only that was true, true, but to recognize our relationship is one in which he's now in charge and we're not in charge. He's the one who's to rule and reign in our life. He is the one who's to call the shots. He is to be Savior and Lord. And so all the promises that God would take that which is wrong in our, in our world, which starts with us, and, and that's, that's the humbling thing in life. When we think about what's wrong in the world, we don't have to look too far. What's wrong in the world is we're wrong. We're messed up. We need to change. And so Jesus came to change that. But all the promises in the Old Testament about the kingdom that would come in its fullness is, is, is still true. And so, since Christ came the first time, and he told his disciples about the details of the kingdom when he left, he said, okay, during this period of time, you've got one major responsibility. I want you to go everywhere and tell people about the kingdom that is now. Well, what is that kingdom that is now? It's, well, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's an invisible kingdom. It, it, it's a kingdom that is within. It's a kingdom that is to change you. And so that's the invitation we give people. Come to Jesus and, and be forgiven of your sin and, and, change, and, and change from ruling your own life to having Jesus rule your life. But when that happens, we were all, okay, well, what now? I mean, there's still all kinds of problems in the world. There's all kinds of suffering. There's all kinds of bad things that happen to people out there and people in here. Well, is this, is this going to be what it's going to be like forever? No, I'm going to come and I'm going to set up my kingdom, not just on the inside, but everywhere. And what he's going to do is be faithful to, God's, to his promises in the past. And he's coming until he's finally going to say, okay, enough is enough. There's going to be one huge period of time, a seven-year period of time of, of great tribulation upon the earth where, where it's going to be a great distinction of the people who choose to follow him and not follow him. And, and then he's going to come again, and he's going to bring judgment upon this land. And he's going to set up a kingdom here on earth. And that's what the people that day were anticipating. Are you going to set up your kingdom right now here on earth? And, and, and that was not his program now. His program is to set up his kingdom on the inside before he sets the kingdom on the outside. There'll be a thousand-year reign here on earth. And people, sometimes we, have you ever thought, you know, if, if, if I had been Adam and Eve, I wouldn't have ate that forbidden apple, you know. Whether you believe that story or not, you know, I believe that story is true. But, I mean, I wouldn't have been that. I mean, all I had to do was not do one thing, okay? 
My wife gives me a to-do list every week, okay? And I have a hard time with the to-do list, okay? But with just one thing, just don't eat of the forbidden fruit. But the reality is, is that we all have hearts that tend to and do rebel against God. And so in a thousand-year reign here on earth, what's going to be happening is that people with, with a righteous king, Jesus is going to be king, and kings of, of here on earth, it's going to be an idyllic environment. Everything's going to be perfect, and yet people will still rebel against him. And then that last rebellion goes on. There will be the unleashing of, of the evil one one more time who's been bound for a thousand years, and all unrighteousness will be dealt with, and then there will be the eternal kingdom forever and ever. And I really believe, and there's one other period of time, is before Christ comes, he's going to rescue his people, just like he did Noah and, and his family, and just like he did Lot. Before this period of judgment here on earth, God's church will be raptured up to be with him. Then there'll be that period of tribulation here on earth. There'll be the judgment of Jesus coming again, setting up his kingdom, one last final battle, and then the eternal state of, of God's kingdom. Now, that's one view of, of kind of the flow of history. But what Jesus would talk about when he was here, he says, I just want you to understand two things, the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet that will come in terms of my rule and reign. And that's what we're going to see in the text this morning. So what is this kingdom? It's not yet, and it will be physical, it will be visible, and it will change everything. And he gave a picture of that just real quickly. When Jesus was here, and we've already talked about that, when um, you know, Jesus came as a baby, I think we talked about this maybe in the first service, is that when he came as a baby, the three wise men came and they told Herod, where is he who is the what of the Jews? The king of the Jews. And so Herod was just shocked by this because he didn't want anybody to be a threat to his throne. But from the very beginning, this story had gone out that he he was the king. And and then there was a period of silence, but then they began to wonder, is he the promised one? Or as in some of the passages, is he the expected one? Um, and he was the expected one to some, and for some it was just a, it was just a huge mystery. In, in Luke chapter 1, I just have the references here, uh, the angel was talking to Mary and, and, and said, I want you to know about this child in the womb. You're, this child in the womb is, is the one who is the son of the highest. He is the one who's going to be on the, the throne of David. He's going to reign over the, the house of Jacob. His kingdom will have no end. His rule will have no end. And as, Jesus, as Mary pondered these things, it was confusing to her. How, how can this be? And as Jesus went to the cross, I'm sure it just broke her heart because I thought his kingdom would never end. But what he, she needed to understand, this kingdom had a, had a two-part process. There was the present form of the kingdom. That was the kingdom now. But there was going to be a future expression of the kingdom, which would be everywhere. And there's all those Christmas passages. In Isaiah chapter 9, You've probably heard this verse in songs or in just quotations throughout that period of time, um, the Christmas time. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And we're thinking about the story of Jesus coming to this earth, but as we read the entire text, some of it doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense. And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over to his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. And you think, wait a minute, is that, that's the child that was born on Christmas? Did all those things happen? No. Is everything just in the world today? Are there, are, are there no more wars? Is there no more conflict in our world? Do people get in Trader Joe's and, you know, people have to come get them? I mean, it, all kinds of things are happening. Unrighteousness... It, it, is everywhere. There's not justice everywhere. 
right? So how do we understand that? Well, that's the kingdom now, not the kingdom that will come. There's a kingdom not yet. It's, it's coming. Well, what will it look like when Jesus comes, when he reigns here on earth? Will, will, will everything change? Well, look at one description, Isaiah 11, verse 5. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness his belt about, about his waist. And that sounds, well, that sounds kind of poetic. You know, he's going to be a right dude and a faithful dude. Well, what do you mean by that? Look at verse 6. Look at all the changes. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Have you ever seen that in, a, in the L.A. Zoo or the San Diego Zoo? They don't put those animals together. Uh, they, they don't fit, right? But when Jesus comes together, there isn't going to be this animosity not only between man against man, uh, but it won't be in the animal world either. And it says a little boy will lead them. He gets to play with all those animals. Verse 7, also the cow and the bear will graze. The young lion will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. I don't know about that now. They'll eat each other today, but it won't be like that when Jesus comes again. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. Do we have any grandparents or parents out there? Would you ever allow your child to do that? Hey, let's go outside and play with that cobra out there, right? And then he goes on and says, And the weaned child, it's a little bit older, will put his hand on the viper's den. Man, that's not what I call a helicopter parent today. I mean, hovering around to make sure nothing happens to your child. You're not going to have to worry about that because the world will be changed because God's kingdom, which is God's rule, will be here on the earth and everything changes. But we need to remember God's kingdom, first of all, begins at his coming the first time to be a kingdom on the inside, invisible, but changes us who know him. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everyone will know about God and his rule and reign. And, and this is what they were looking for. When, when the king came, or the one who announced that he might be the king, they were expecting everything to change. But everything did not change. In Malachi 4, which is the last chapter of the Old Testament, they, the very end of that, around verse 6, it says, it says oh, by the way, when, the, when the, the expected one comes, the promised one comes, everyone in their family will get along. Have you found that to be true in, in our day? I mean, every father loves their children, every child loves their father and all that. It, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. And that's, that's what we need to look forward to is that there is coming a time where every expectation that just is internally within us, that things would be a lot better than they are, they will be perfect when he comes again because he will change everything. There will be a rebellion at the end, but then God will make it complete and full when the complete form of God's kingdom happens. So this is the background. This is the big picture. Well, then how did Jesus respond after he told the Pharisees, oh, by the way, you're not going to see the kingdom of God because you can't say it's there. It's there because of what it looks like. Because what you'll never get unless you submit is that the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here because the king is here. You need to be rightly related to the king. You must, as he told Nicodemus, be born again. That which is of the flesh is just still flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. So you, not, you must be born spiritually. But then he turned to the disciples, and this is, we will end up, I'm not going to preach till 1 o'clock, so you can relax. Okay, Luke 17, he now turns from the 
the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who didn't want to get it. And because they didn't want to get it, they didn't get it. Because they, want, they wanted power. They wanted, they wanted to be uh, manifested as the leaders of a nation that, that God was going to rule through. And, and God says, I'm not going to rule through the nations or the nation until I rule in your heart. He now turns to the disciples and he said, oh, let me tell you about the kingdom. And what he's going to say about it is the, the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom that he will set up on, here on the earth. But it's going to surprise them, or to use the intro today, and I know I'm throwing a lot at you, is that they were confused. Just like I get confused about understanding how the United Kingdom, and how, are they countries or there's this one sovereign state? And what kind of, what kind of do I say I'm a, a British person? Do I say I'm Scottish? Do I say I'm Irish? You know, I don't understand how that all works, but they're a united kingdom. Well, when Jesus comes the second time, it's going to be clear. And here's some of the things he wanted them to be clear about what was to happen. So here's six things I want to tell you. Number one, and he, Jesus, said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, which he's talking about now, not the present form of the kingdom, which is God ruling on the inside, but I want to see the coming days of the Son of Man in all its glory and all its power and, and see it manifest where I can say, look, it's right there. And then he says, he says something very sobering to them. You will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, people you're around, look, there it is. Look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. Don't be fooled by people say, the kingdom of God is right here because, and he's speaking to them, that disciples right then, it's not going to come in your lifetime. I don't know how else you can take that. He says, you're not going to experience the next complete phase of the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen in your lifetime. And, of course, that's always what they wanted. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, after he got, they got another series of lectures on the kingdom of God, they said, is this the day in which you're going to set up the kingdom of God in Israel? <sighs> Jesus kind of just sighs to look at it. You, you, you are not to be the the timekeeper about when it's going to come. You're, you're all into sales, all right? You're to get the, the message that God wants to rule and reign in people's life to, to reconcile people to God, to, to take that which separates us from God and show that sin can be forgiven and, and sin can be, be conquered by the power of the Spirit in people's lives. And so, he's like, and so the first point here is that as he talked about the kingdom of God, the one that's not yet, the return of the king would be desired but not seen by them, by the apostles. Then he goes on and says this, verse 24. And he kind of just fires these things at him. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Now, now think about it for a moment. I mean, when there's a light show because of lightning and thunder, and it's just like just monstrous, uh, you don't miss that, do you? When the sound is deafening, when the light is deaf, is just everywhere, you don't miss that. And so what he was telling me, look, at, you're, you're kind of a little fearful that maybe you might be, you know, dozing when this all happens. You're not going to miss this. When it, when it does happen, of course, it's not going to happen in their day, but he said when it does happen, everyone know this is the kingdom of God. This is something from God. And when, you know, things happen and we can't explain, you know, from an in-church perspective, we always say that was an act of who? act of God. And, and when there's a little bit of lightning, we say that's just, you know, that's just mother nature acting up. But when it's like this, they're going to say, this, this is a God thing. No, no one can explain these, these lightning bolts that are, 
just circling the globe, and it's everywhere. Everyone's going to know this is something that the supreme being of this universe has started off. And so they're not going to see it, but when it does happen, it will be evident to everyone. And he's not talking about the rapture here. He's talking about uh, the coming here to earth to set up his kingdom. But then he goes back in time. He says, oh, oh, by the way, we are living in the now. What's going to be the next thing? Verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And I say, well, wait a minute. Well, we just talked about the glory of your coming again, the lightning's flying everyone, everyone's going to experience it. Oh, oh, by the way, before this all happens, the king will hum himself to the point of death and ridicule on a cross. And see, as we look back, we're not confused by that, but can you imagine them hearing that? This makes no sense. Jesus, you are the miracle. You you heal everybody's disease. You bring people back to life. And and, and people are going to mess with you? I'm sure they kind of wonder. If people mess with you, you can probably handle them, right? Look, you need to realize that the the one who came for you is going to suffer for you. He's going to die for you. No greater love is this than one would lay down his life for his friends. So the kingdom will not come easily. The king will suffer and he will die. But then he goes on and then he says, oh, okay, let me give you a glimpse in the future. Verse 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so will also in the days of the Son of Man. So if you, if you know the, the Noah story, that's the big, what, what happened? The big, the big flood, right? The big flood happened and say, okay, what, whenever, when the, when the, the final form of God's kingdom comes where God rules here on earth. When all the things wrong in this world gets changed, he changes everything, what's it going to be like when that happens? Because it's going to be like the days of, of Noah. Well, how were the days of Noah? The days of Noah, he's going to describe there, you know, there, weren't, there weren't people longing for the rule of God in life. They were doing all the opposite. And, and then he goes on and says this, verse 27, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, you're familiar all with the, the, story, the, the Noah story. The, um, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and because his heart was tender toward God and he put his trust in him, God rescued him. And for 120 years, he's warning the people, look at a flood's coming, a flood's coming, a flood's coming, a flood's coming. He's building this ark, you know, this big boat, okay? You know, for years on end, there's... And they're watching all this, and they're thinking, this guy's crazy. And they just go on living like they normally did. And so they weren't longing for God's kingdom to come here on earth, and that's the majority of people in the world today. They're not longing for God to come and straighten everything out. But when it happens, they're not going to miss it. And just like in the days of Noah, they weren't anticipating the flood. They didn't believe the flood was going to happen. But when the flood came... They realized the flood had come, and the judgment of God was upon them. And then he gives another story. He says in verse 28, it was the same as, as, as happening in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot came out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And if you're not familiar with this story, this is, you know, Lot... Um, was related to Abraham, and Lot went down the wrong path and got involved in a, in a whole community that was involved in very obvious sin, and, and God announced that he was going to be judgment upon the land. And, um, 
And, and there was some warning there, but the, the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, they just went on doing what they did. And some of it was just normal everyday life. And, and we need to realize that obviously sin, and sin that's obvious, is a, is a barrier toward knowing God if we don't repent from it. But there is, there is another danger. It's just being, as I put in your outline, it's just being preoccupied with normal life. It's being apathetic and indifferent at the potential of His coming. What messes most of us is, is, is just missed opportunity that's right in front of us, but we don't see it because we're not, we're not, we're not looking for it. And because we're not looking for it, we miss it. And, and that's going to be like it when, when Jesus comes again. People just are not going to be ready because they're just, they're not thinking about God. They're just doing their own thing. And even people who should know better, he goes on in verse 31, on that day, the one who's on the housetop and those goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, one who is in the field must not turn back. Which somewhat speaks about people who, who know a little bit about God, but they're still, they're still not totally convinced. And, and when this all happens, rather than running to God, they're saying, well, wait, I, want to make, I want to hold on to some of the things in this world. And, and, and when you hold on to things in this world, you miss the world to come. Sometimes we ask ourselves the question, you know, if, if, if all of a sudden there was a fire, you know, in the house, what things would I go back to get? Well, depending on what, what, the, what the heat of that fire is, you better not go back and get anything, right? Well, I want my pictures. Well, you might want your pictures, but if you go back into that house, it's going to take your life. And so he, he's just raising up the, the importance of being ready for the kingdom. And then he tells another Bible story. He goes, verse 32, remember Lot's wife? And then he just, that's all he says there. He kind of makes a statement. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. What does it mean to get in on the kingdom of God now? Well, it's a matter of surrendering to the king. And you can't have one hand in the world and one hand in, in heaven. You've you got to let it go of this world to get into the world to come. And, and remember Lot? You know, Lot, Lot was connected to, I mean, Lot's wife was connected to Lot. She knew the truth. But when she was compelled to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah to leave this world to put her faith and surrender in the true God, uh, her, her real temperature of her heart was revealed because when the judgment came and, and as she was running, she, she, she looked back because she really wanted what she had left. And so he was warning all those who would read what they would record that he was saying to them that, look, you, you, you can't hold on to this world if you... If you're going to gain from this, this you've got to lose your life to get what, what is coming. So think about the second coming of Christ. It's, it's now, but it's also not yet. And, and there's a cry to be ready for what's coming. And, and some people will just continue to be preoccupied with normal life, apathetic and indifferent is coming, longing for what they have. And then he finishes with two quick statements. Verses 34 through 36 and then the last passage. I tell you on that night, there will be two in one bed and one will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be left in the field and one will be taken and the other will be left. Some of us look, look at this passage and think this is speaking of the rapture. I don't think this is speaking of the rapture, the catching up of God's people before judgment comes. This passage is speaking about what happens at the end of Revelation, at least in the 19th chapter, when Jesus comes in judgment to bring wrath upon the world for those who rebelled against him and, and took the mark of the evil one. 
and have exchanged their loyalty to the God who created them, to the, the God of this age, which is Satan and all those who follow him. And he says, well, that happens. Let me just tell you the reality. That's that there are going to be some that will be taken to be spared from judgment. I mean, there will be some who will be, that will be taken to, some will be taken to be brought to judgment and some will remain here to enter into the kingdom that I prepared for those who know and love me. And so we think about, well, who, who populates the kingdom when, when Jesus comes again? It will be those who are believers that had not died a martyr's death. They will remain here and be brought into the kingdom of God, but there will be others who will be separated to judgment. And it will be a division of family. Some will be in that family, and some will be taken to judgment, and some will be left to follow God when he sets up his kingdom. The return of the king will separate people for reward or judgment is coming. And as Jesus has been getting the answers, finally the disciples who are in the class with the master, they come up with a question in verse 37. And answering, they said, and where, 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 Lord? Where is this all happening? And maybe they were like looking at the, at the flood. Is this going to be a local flood or is this going to be around the world? Is this going to be a local judgment of God or is it going to be around the world? And Jesus very plainly says, and he said to them, where the body is, and where are the bodies today in the world? They're everywhere. There also the vultures will be gathered. And I think he's just simply saying this. It, when the king comes, it will make a global and not, not just a local impact. Everyone will be impacted when the king comes to rule here on earth and to change everything. So this morning, what, what, what's the point? In, in the midst of the complexity about the kingdom of God, I don't want you to miss the simplicity of it. What's the kingdom of God? It's God's rule. And how does that apply for me now? Right now, who's ruling in your life? What is it really to know, know God in a personal way? It's to allow him, to have him rule and reign in your life, or have him to be the leader and forgiver of your life. But the not yet is still to come. And as, as we go through life, often we get, we get overwhelmed by the, the heartache and pains of life. If not in our own life and the lives of the people we really care about and are concerned for. And sometimes when things go wrong, our natural inclination is to, to blame who? It's, it's to blame God. And we'll, we'll cry, oh God, why, why do bad things happen to what kind of people? Good people. And you say, well, I, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not perfectly good, but I'm gooder than others, right? <laughs> and we're thinking, why is this happening to me? And it, it, if the king is ruling, well, why, why are you allowing this to happen? And Jesus said, look, at it, didn't I just tell you? Haven't I told you? There is a kingdom now, but it's, it's on the inside, knowing me in a personal way, and it changes you on the inside. You're looking for the kingdom, not yet, the kingdom that is to come. There is going to come a time where there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more suffering. But that's when the king reigns here on earth. That's the blessed hope. Look forward to that. But don't expect life to be easy here. It's awesome knowing him, but it's not easy. My son was telling me a story today, and he's in fact told the first service that he and his wife, Lori, know a, a couple well, and Lori's been friends for them a long time. And, and as, a, as a husband and wife, they longed to have children. And so they'd gone everywhere, done everything to, to have a child, praying to God as well. And it didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. All of a sudden, she became pregnant, and, and they were so excited. And after the child had come to, to weeks on, I forget what, weeks, what week it was at, uh, they had a reveal party. They, were, they told 
all their friends and family what this uh, child would be. And it was going to be a little girl. They already named the little girl. Her, her name was Rosie. But then that next night when the water broke, I think it had only been 17 weeks, the child died. Both the parents committed Christians. And they could have cried out, God, why did you allow this to happen? And I'm sure they were experiencing the pain of that. But they recognized that God is the, is the giver of life. And, and they could claim on the promises of God and the example of David with the, the child that died as an infant, that, that they would see that child again, but that child would be in the kingdom of God, in the place that we called heaven. And they can trust in the goodness of God, not always because it's going to happen now, but it will happen in the future. And, and so as we look at, well, how does that apply to us now as, as we go through life? We have, have to ask the fundamental question, whose kingdom are we in and how do we know we're in it? And, and, and we, we can know that we're in God's kingdom. He's the one that we have made ruler and savior of our life. We've surrendered our hearts to him. And then as we go through life, we live that out by trusting him when things don't go right and when they go wrong. When we believe that everything that happens in our life can happen for a purpose and God can use it for his glory. And we trust in him and look forward to that time where the kingdom that is expressed now internally is expressed completely everywhere and every way. Let's pray together. For all of us need to to make sure we know under whose rule we are. Is it the evil one? Is it our own selfish desires? Is it falling after our only things that we want? Or is it falling after the one who made us, created us, and then sent his son to die for us? And we enter into that by making that commitment on the inside to be born again. And what does that mean? It means we admit our need and turn from our sin, the things that are wrong in our life. We believe, we believe that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins and rose again. And then we make that tough decision. We commit. We commit to follow Jesus, the leader and forgiver of our lives, where we surrender our will to his will because his will is always best. Father, I would pray that no one in this place would be confused about how to get into the kingdom of God. It's by giving our lives fully and completely to Jesus. And then, Father, as we, as we live life, help us to live life fully committed to the one who in the end, as he comes again, will make all things wrong right. Help us to trust in you even when things are difficult and challenging because you, you're good and you're good all the time, but it doesn't mean it's always easy. Help us to trust in the one who is the ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In his name we pray, amen.